Our text this evening will be Romans 12, 9 through 13. If you want to turn to that, we'll read that in just a few minutes. Since this is a continuation from uh, previous Sunday evenings in Romans 12, we'll take just a few minutes to review what we've studied. Paul is writing to the church in Rome to encourage those believers there in the doctrines of the faith. And this is a church he has not yet visited, but sincerely longs to, and he consistently prays for these believers, as we can read in chapter 1. So as he continues to ask the Lord to enable him to get to Rome, he pens this letter in advance to instruct and encourage the church. The first 11 chapters are deeply rich in the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as well as the doctrine of election. And then in chapters 12 through 16, Paul instructs in the proper response to an application of this grace in the lives of true believers. The foundational and logical response to God's grace to save us is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice that pleases God. It's verse 1 of chapter 12. It's a response based on an increasing understanding of the abundant mercies of God. Then we learn in verses 3 through 8 that we are to have a biblical understanding that God has brought us into the body, the church, according to his wisdom and grace. And also in bringing us into the body, he has assigned spiritual gifts to us according to his wisdom and grace. We're to be faithful in using those gifts, trusting that our all-knowing and wise God will provide for his church exactly what is needed in order to bring him glory and honor. And just as a brief follow-up to that discussion about being faithful to exercise our spiritual gifts, we should look at what the church needs and seek to fill that need. We may be tempted to look at our spiritual gift and seek ways to serve that matches with our gift but it may not necessarily fit the need for the church at that particular time. So a spirit of humility is needed for a healthy church member to come and look and say, this is what the church needs, this is where I need to fit in, though it may not be my particular gifting at this time. And trust that God, in his wisdom, will use your gift just as he needs it in this church. Well, our text tonight is verses 9 through 13, so read that with me. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is God's Word. What we've just read are the marks of a true Christian. These actions are to characterize a true follower of Christ. So the text is somewhat self-explanatory. So just a simple outline for us tonight to guide us. 
These are the marks of a true Christian. In verse 9, we see the personal marks of a true Christian. And in verses 10 through 13, we see the church family marks of a true Christian. How we relate to one another. As we read the passage, you can see it as a compilation of short phrases describing a true believer. And I want to caution you against interpreting this as a list of Christian do's and don'ts. To look at it this way can lead to legalism, uh, which is rooted in self-reliance and works, kind of a I-can-do I type mentality. So Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing, at least nothing that bears the fruit of righteousness. You know, we can do a lot of things in the Christian life, but only when our hearts are in submission to Christ will it bear the fruit of righteousness. The instruction Paul gave to the Roman believers and subsequently to us is that these marks or characteristics should be increasingly manifested, revealed in our lives as we consider the mercies of God and we present ourselves as a living sacrifice and we renew our minds in the truth of God and his incredible grace to save us. So let's look at the personal marks of a true Christian in verse 9. It starts out, let love be genuine. Other translations will say, let love be without hypocrisy or love must be sincere. Why would Paul start off a list of the marks of a true Christian saying, make your love be genuine or sincere without hypocrisy? Well, perhaps because our default way to love is tainted by selfishness. Think about it. Apart from the Spirit of God working in and through us, our love is naturally motivated by desiring something in return. It's based in a selfish motivation. We're wanting a response that meets our need. But the love mentioned here is completely different. It is a selfless love. It's marked by a sincere desire to meet the needs of another. Let's catch that definition. A sincere desire to meet the needs of another. So where do we see this selfless love demonstrated best? Romans 8.1 says... But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is our greatest need? It is forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to God. So what did Christ do for us? He demonstrated, he set the example of genuine love. Remember, it's a sincere desire to meet the needs of another. Christ did that by willingly laying down his perfect righteous life by dying on the cross. He bore the wrath of God for our sins, satisfying the righteous requirement to enable us to be reconciled to God. That's our greatest need. And God met it through the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 10 and 11 expresses it this way. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sit his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. When something is hypocritical, it's masked. The true motivation is hidden. But genuine love puts the need of the other person first. 
1 Corinthians 13, 4-6 describes how this selfless love behaves. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So the question that we need to ask of ourselves in evaluating Christian love is this. Am I showing love for others in order to get something in return? Or am I sincere in desiring to meet the need of another? Ask the Lord to make his love rooted and grounded in your heart as Paul prayed in Ephesians 3.17. We could go the rest of the night talking about love. It's from Genesis to Revelation, the story of God's love. But for the sake of time, let's move to that next mark of a true believer. In verse 9, it says, Abhor what is evil. So how many times have you used the word abhor this week? Yeah, that's what I thought. Not even me, and I've been studying this. Okay, It's just one of those words that when you hear it, you may not be able to define it, but you know it's got to mean something strong because it just sounds that way. So how about these words? Hate, detest, do not tolerate. That's what we're talking about here. But what level... What level are we talking about? Is it, oh, how I hate my hair looks today? Or is it, I hate it when they get my order wrong at the drive-thru? I would say to you that the, the hate, the detest, the abhor is much stronger here. So we've got to look at the object. Paul says to abhor, do not tolerate what is evil. Evil is an offense against holy God. God hates evil. As followers of Christ, we too should have that same response to evil, not to tolerate it. It's not because that we might be offended, but because God is offended by that which is evil. We need to make God and His holiness supreme in our minds and seek to uphold that by not tolerating, even hating evil. Thirdly, in that verse, verse 9, he says, Hold fast to what is good. Well, what is good? We learned a few weeks ago from Psalm 73, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Goodness is God's very essence. If he were not good, he would cease to be God. Jesus declared the goodness of God in his encounter with the rich young ruler in Luke 18. He said, the ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. We're being exhorted to hold fast, cleave to. Literally, the word is glue, stick to. Join ourselves to God because He alone is good. What is it that you're holding to? Is it your job? Financial security? Is it another person? Your spouse? 
close friend. You know, those things have some good aspects. But only God is truly good and trustworthy and true. So our exhortation is to cling to Him. So we're to love sincerely. We're to hate or detest evil and hold fast, cling to what is good, which is God. These are to be the personal marks of a true Christian. So now in verse 10, Paul expands these characteristics to the family of God. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul now uses a term for love that introduces the family relationship. Brotherly affection. It's Philadelphia in the Greek, and it means love of the brethren. We are a family. We have been adopted as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. You can see Galatians 4, 4 through 6, Romans 8, 15, for more about our adoption into the family of God. And in a more intimate family, we are the family of the local church, Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church. We've covenanted together as a family. And one of the ways to foster this brotherly love is to come together as we are tonight to the Lord's table. When we come together, having examined ourselves before God and our relationships one another, with one another, it increases our affection for one another. And that's, that's the kind of love that Paul's talking about here. Another way to stir up brotherly affection is praying for one another. As Pastor Blake mentioned this morning, the church membership is a, is a great tool to get that out and, and pray through each of us. Uh, use that to, to prompt your thoughts about somebody. Uh, write them a letter, send them a text message, an email, a phone call, share a meal. But get to know your church family and foster that brotherly affection for one another. Verse 11, he says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal. The NISB translates this, not lagging behind in diligence. You know, zeal is one of those words. What, what exactly does that mean? What's the concept? It says, a true Christian is not to be marked by a lifestyle of laziness, delay, hesitation. But rather, our lives are to be marked by diligence and eagerness to keep moving forward. The King James Version uses the word business. So we're to be moving eagerly forward in the business of our Lord. The Lord demonstrates this zeal to us in declaring His sovereign will. In 2 Kings 19.31, He says, For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Jesus demonstrated zeal in John chapter 2 when he ran the money changers out of the temple. The text says that the disciples remembered the text from Psalm 69.9. It says, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. How about you? How's your zeal for the Lord's church? 
Are you lagging behind? Have you lost some diligence? Has a little bit of apathy crept in maybe? We have to fight this lack of eagerness with prayer. Ask God to make you zealous. Give you the spiritual energy to be engaged in his business. It is what we were created for. It is what we were redeemed for. Look at this text in Titus 2.14. It says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Next it says, be fervent in spirit. And literally this means to boil in spirit, to be hot. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, he says, I would have you be either hot or cold. The Lord will not tolerate the middle of the road, lukewarmness. So the mark of a true believer is serving his church with passion, with much energy, that boiling spirit. If we're fervent in spirit, Pastor Blake said, go to Joy's house once a month. So. <laughs> and we're to serve the Lord. The word serve means to be a slave to. The mark of a true believer is to serve the Lord in his church. The Lord has commanded his church in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. The Lord said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're to serve, to be a slave to the Lord's work in His church, fulfilling that commission. So the mark of the church family is to be zealous in good works, and fervent, strong in spirit, and serving the Lord in his church to fulfill the mission as given by our Lord. As we do this, we are to be marked by rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. We have a confident expectation that what the Lord has said, he will do. Jesus said in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. See, we have a hope that is comparable to nothing else in this world. The Lord of glory has promised us eternal life and that we will be with him to behold his glory forever. This sure hope is the mark of a true believer. So is your soul weighed down by the struggles of this life? How long has it been since you've thought about that? The hope, the sure hope that you have of your redemption. Scripture says to rejoice your soul, lift your soul by renewing your mind in that truth. 1 John, 2, 1 John 3 verses 2 and 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, 
because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Rejoice in this hope so that you can be patient in tribulation. How is it that a Christian can endure suffering, patiently go through trials? There has to be something that we're looking to other than the trial, right? If all we are focused on is the struggle, suffering, the pain, then our soul will be no different than an unbeliever. It will be weighed down and hopelessness will set in. The word patient means to stay under or remain. And that sounds very much like the powerful and intimate instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples on the night of his betrayal. John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus said to his disciples, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by, by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus knew those disciples were about to endure suffering. Maybe even hopelessness. So he gave them the answer to endure it. He said, abide in me. You stay under me. You, stay, you remain in me. So friend, if you are here in the midst of great pain and suffering tonight, lift your eyes from that struggle to your Savior. He's carrying you even now. Set your eyes upon the Lord Jesus. Psalm 16 expresses this very well. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we can rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation by being constant in prayer. The mark of a true Christian is that they continually pray. Prayer is our confession that we can't manage this life in our own strength. So we cry out to the one that can, our source of strength, our Heavenly Father. Prayer should not be a once-a-day recitation of the same phrases, the same wish list. A true believer is continually coming to the Father in prayer, especially in those times of temptation to sin. A healthy church also demonstrates this constancy in prayer. When we gather as a church... We come together in the unity of praying with and for one another. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, gave the powerful instruction for spiritual warfare with the picture of putting on the battle gear, the whole armor of God. And he ended that text with this instruction in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. 
Are your prayers marked mainly by personal needs and wants? Do you spend time praying for your church leaders, your fellow church members? You know, one practical way to expand your prayer life is to consistently pray for your church family. Again, the church membership directory is an excellent tool. Take a few of those families or individuals, three or four or five a week, and pray for them. Pray this text for them, that they would increasingly exhibit the marks of a true Christian. Lastly, we see in verse 13, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Another mark of a true Christian is willingness and generosity to share in the needs of fellow believers. We see this vividly in the early church. In Acts 2, verses 44 and 45, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. If our love is sincere and we are showing brotherly love, then we will seek to meet the physical and the spiritual needs of our fellow believers. So how are you doing in this mark of a true believer? When you hear of a need, are you compelled to meet it? Or do you think, well, somebody else will handle that? Are you concerned for the spiritual growth of your brothers and sisters in the family of God? Ask the Lord to make you generous, to make you care for the members of his family. Seek to show hospitality. Hospitality means love of strangers. In a church family, we may become familiar with one another. We might recognize one another. But in a sense, we may still be strangers to one another. We may not know much about each other. So one way to build love for one another is being willing to open our homes. Consider those in our church family that you don't know very well and invite them to your home. Share a meal. Spend some time learning about one another, especially each other's testimony of the grace of God in your lives. It will be mutually encouraging. Well, how are you doing in exhibiting the marks of a true Christian? How are we doing as brothers and sisters in the family of God in showing these marks toward one another? Are these marks increasing in us personally and as a church family? If we're really honest, we can say we might need some improvements in some of these areas, right? We could admit some weakness in some areas. You know, I cautioned at the beginning as we read this about seeing this passage as a list of do's and don'ts for the Christian. In his book, What is a Healthy Church Member, author Thabiti Anyabwile expresses a similar concern that the readers of his book would assess their weaknesses in the marks of being a healthy church member and come to some wrong conclusions. The first wrong conclusion is that the reaction to weakness would be work, 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 rather than grace, grace, grace. 
he concludes that we should have an increasing understanding of and reliance upon the life of Christ now at work in you and the spirit who seals and empowers the Christian for every good work. We must rely upon God's grace to exhibit the marks of a true believer. The second wrong reaction is a spirit of individualism. You may look at these marks of a true Christian and think, let me get to work on me. But most of the marks we looked at tonight, however, have to do with the family of God, the church. He counters this Lone Ranger Christian perspective with this statement. Lock arms with others who love the Lord and love his church and together grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. May that be true of us in the Chaffee Crossing family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word and the instruction to us about what the true marks of a, a believer, a follower of Christ, really are. So, Father, we pray that you would give us strength to resist this temptation to try to improve ourselves or to think of ourselves only. But Father, cause us to lock arms with one another and encourage one another to rely upon your grace that is sufficient. Father, cause us to love each other genuinely. Cause us to desire to follow you with all our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.